You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This month of Sunday School, we happen to have the Grothies. Uh, David Grothy and Becky Grothy have been sharing about marriage. I've been gone, and so this is my first week that I get to hear them. But I've heard that they've been amazing. Isn't that true? Yes, and so they're... They're teaching, so whether you're dating or not dating, you're whether you're engaged, whether you are already married, they're, they're speaking about marriage from a wide base uh, of experience. They've been married for a long time. They've been doing marriage conferences for a very long time. So it's my pleasure to introduce our friends, David and Becky. Good morning. We're so happy to be good morning, good morning. with you for a third week in a row. This has got to be a record, three weeks in a row together. Uh, Becky, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Becky woke up this morning first thing. Happy Father's, happy Father's Day. Day. Any fathers in the room? Yes, fathers. Happy God bless Father's you. Day. I got two texts this morning from my twin daughters, and they came in birth order. The text did, as usual. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk quickly, so if you've got uh, some notes to take, take quick notes. The, the outline from last Sunday, the 13th, is out there. If you picked one up, the uh, You Can Have a Happy Marriage outline, and this outline will be available next week as well. But we want to start today with a brief review and these are the six things we talked about last week about having a happy marriage. How many were not here last week? We're not here. Brief review. It's on the outline, some of the scriptures. Be kind. Be forgiving. Controlling your tongue. Watch your mouth. And doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Think about how much happier your relationships would be if you treated everybody in your close circle, your family, your wife, your husband. Are you as nice to your wife as you are to the people that you deal with in the course of a business day? Are you as nice to people in your family as you are to people on the telephone? Some common courtesies that we have in our lives that do not seem to extend to our closest and most intimate relationships. Are you as nice to people, uh, your spouse or your close family friends or your brother and sister? But let's talk about spouse today. Are you as nice to your spouse as you are your dog? How many of you have a dog? We, before we moved here, we had a little Yorkie named Satchmo. And Satchmo Louie Grothy was his name. And you know, Yorkies are just the sweetest and cutest. And so we had this little Yorkie and he weighed about six pounds. And we had on the side of our front door, uh, there were little window panes. So Satch would watch for us. And when we came, he, he was um, the breeder that we got him from said that he came from an athletic line. And so he could jump like five feet it just from standing in a standing position. So anyway, um, when we would come home, we would all kind of rush to be the first one to get to Satch. 
And because Satch was always so happy, Satch knew how to smile. He'd run up on the steps and smile at us when we came in. And uh, so my pattern was to come in the house, come in, have Satch smile at me from the steps, and then I would go sit in my chair, Satch would jump up in my lap, and I'd scratch him behind the ears and talk to him in a real sweet voice. You know, we, you know when you talk to people in a sweet way, it's kind of high-pitched. So I'd say, Satch, Mommy's so glad to see you, and do all that and scratch his back. And then I, I remember one time specifically kind of glancing across the room at Dave, and he was looking at me with, like, longing and... And even a hint of jealousy toward Satch. And uh, he said, I wish you'd be that excited to see me when I come in the door. You know, scratch me behind my ears. Let me hop on your lap. Talk, talk to me in a high-pitched voice. And uh, so that can kind of be a measure of, for us, kind of a gauge. Are we nicer? And the answer to me, for me, was Yes. I was nicer to my dog than I was my husband. But since she has repented and all is well. And we gave Satch away. <laughs> Wherever Satch is today on Father's Day, God bless him. Today. I caught Dave one time trying to strangle Satch. Oh, you did not. No, I'm kidding. God bless Satch. <laughs> today we're going to talk about destructive behaviors in marriage. So. We're going to move. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to move quickly. Malachi 2. It asks this question. You ask why. Why is this happening? It's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you've broken faith with her. To cover, you've covered up, to act covertly or in secret to, or to be, not be open with your wife. These are all synonyms for broken faith. Or to be closed-mouthed. You don't talk to her. You don't communicate with her. Though she is the wife... She is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Verse 15, Malachi 2. Has not the Lord made them one? Whenever there's a rhetorical question in the scripture, it's always important to answer correctly. There's always a predetermined answer. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and in spirit, they are his. And why one? This is an important determining question of one of the values of marriage. Why did God make them one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. Now, I know that it's sort of a presupposition. Oh, yeah, kids are part of the deal. And some couples get married with sort of a, an idea, we're not going to have kids. Uh, we think we're just going to have each other. And I've known some couples at a young age that for whatever motivation they had, they decided, we're, we're, we're not going to have kids. Maybe even for the noble, we're going to serve God in the ministry and we're, we're going to give our all. We're going to sell out 100% and decide and even determine surgically not to have children. Only 20 plus years later to find themselves desiring children and feeling that that might have been something they missed and consequently adopting or having some surgical procedure to reverse what they decided 20 years before. I want to just point this out. It's, I don't want to gloss over. Why did God want them to be one? Because he was seeking, God was seeking godly offspring. So, 
In light of these things, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Verse 16, God says, in quotes, I hate divorce. If you ask anybody who's been divorced, they'll tell you they hate it too. It's just an awful thing. It's a ripping apart of something that was one and now is broken. I hate divorce, says the Lord. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So, because of this, because of the sobering thought of becoming one and staying one, he says, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. I've said it before. I think it was in our opening outline two weeks ago. Long-term, successful marriage is a hard issue. It's a spiritual issue. And guarding ourselves in our spirit and not letting our spirits and our heart become hardened toward one another is a very important point. In every way, preserve the vitality of your marriage relationship. In every way. Becky and I have been married 33 years, and we have so many dimensions to our relationship. Uh, the, the three main ones that we would focus on and, and are kind of primary in, a, in an outline way in, in, in our heads, in the headlines of our life, our communication, our sexual intimacy, and money. Those things somehow define the, the DNA of every marriage relationship. How you talk to one another, how you understand each other, how you relate to each other physically and intimately, and then when it comes time to have a uh, a real life of paying bills and and having the wherewithal to to live together, those things are the things that you've got to preserve. Okay, he, I I was sitting here debating on whether or not I was going to give this example. And it's kind of embarrassing, so I, I had just about talked myself out of, well, just be real general, and, you know, you can still make your point without embarrassing yourself. But so then he Are said, you embarrassing yourself or myself? Excuse me. Yes? I had paper in my mouth. I'm embarrassing myself. Oh. So, but it's not the first time. One of our points here is not to conceal things from your spouse. Uh, remind me again, how many of you are married? Raise your hands. Okay. Oh, we're kind of heavy on this end over here. So don't conceal things. Don't have secrets. Don't keep secrets from each other. And um, I, I was going to use the example of Lucy. Did you ever watch any of the reruns? I know you weren't born when Lucy... But the Lucy reruns, uh, Lucille Ball, you know, I love Lucy, I love Lucy. I love, I love Lucy. I have 160 episodes TiVo'd. <laughs> I love that show. Actually, yesterday, I, you can push your TiVo to just play them continuously, the things that you have. So I, yesterday morning when I was getting, I got up real early and I just put Lucy on and I just had them all running. But one of the, one of the main things that I remember about Lucy was she hid things all the time from from Ricky and uh, she would go buy a hat or buy a dress or or you know a vegivita vita solution or whatever and she would hide them in their little closet or under her bed 
and uh, and then try to figure out how she could wear her new hat without Ricky realizing she had spent that money. So anyway, she was so deceptive. She just was all all the way in every episode she was deceiving about something. So um, I thought, well, now this isn't the embarrassing thing, but I thought one time that I could buy an outfit and then just put it in my closet and wait a little while and then put it on and have Dave say, is that new? And I would say, oh, I've had this for ages. You know, so don't do that. I haven't ever done that because he's never forbidden me to buy anything. But have you, okay, this is the embarrassing thing. Have you ever bounced a check? Raise your hand. Come on. Have you ever lied? No. Have you ever bounced a check? Well, we have this check protection thing set up, so they don't actually bounce, but we get an insufficient check charge. And I pay the bills in our house as far as doing all the online banking and stuff. And uh, so I have done that before. And when that happens, I have had this temptation. I've thought, I need to get to the post office box before Dave does because one of those notices is going to come in the mail. And so I'm so, oh, I'll get the mail, honey. Oh, don't you bother. You go home and rest. I'll go get the mail. Now, I haven't done that, but I have been tempted in years past to do things like that. But even those little things set up a pattern of deception, or a seed, I should say, of deception that seems like that's no, you know, deception is a pretty strong word for something like that, Becky. But it really is. So you just have to be out front about everything and not let those little seeds creep into your marriage. I haven't bounced a check in a very long time. Which leads us to our next point. The wife is the making or the undoing (laughs) of her husband. I'm going to give you some verses. where do I fit in that? I'm going to give you some verses. The wife is the making or the undoing of her husband. Proverbs 14.1 says it this way. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Just skip down. I got a phone call. I got a phone call one night from a friend. We have this mutual friend. He calls me. He says, hey, you've got to get over to our friend's house right away. Hurry. They're, They're having a problem. And so I go over and I walk in the house and the wife is sitting on the couch. And I'm looking around, where, where's the husband? And the guy that called me walks in the room, and he, I said, where, where is he? And he goes like this. And I went upstairs with this guy. I said, where is he? He said, and I went up one more flight of stairs into the attic, and I, and, and I go in this room, and the attic ladder is down, coming out of the ceiling, this hole in the ceiling. And I walk up there, and I stick my head in the attic, and I... Look way back in the far corner of the sea, of the attic ceiling. This guy is sitting like this. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "It's better to dwell in the corner of an attic than with a big house with a quarrelsome wife, an arguing wife." I said, "Oh, get out of here! Come on down here." He said, "I'm just being scriptural." 
really happened. He was kind of a dramatic guy anyway. Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. This says something about not just temperament, but about the desire to get along. Do you have a, a desire to make trouble, men or women, or do you have a desire to really work it out? Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. Quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. <sighs> he looks forward to this lesson just so he can do that dripping thing. I can't do it. <laughs> We're going to talk about marital purity. And I really want you to think how important and how much of a treasure this part of our life is. How much do you value sexual purity in your life? What is your value system? What does it say about you? Hebrews 13. This is the Amplified Translation. Why don't you read it? Let marriage be held in honor, valuable, highly esteemed, worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage, the marriage bed, speaking of sexual intercourse, be undefiled, Pure, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulterers. So how precious is this part of you? And in your marriage, it needs the value of this part of your marriage needs to be elevated. Precious, notice, especially dear. It's a treasure. What do you do with your valuables? How do you protect them? What do you do to protect certain valuables that you have? Many people will put a, a safe in their home or a safety deposit box or a security system or something. And I think many couples have failed to put a security system around this part of their lives. They have allowed this part of their life to go unprotected. And I'm not just talking about in the world sense of unprotected sex. I'm talking about the unprotected nature of this treasure that we have from God. Proverbs 5. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. This is a beautiful picture of sexual purity. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain... Be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And as I've said before, the wife of your youth should be the same wife of your middle age and the wife of your old age. I've, I've heard guys talk. When, when Paul tells Timothy and he talks about qualifications for leaders in the church, several times he says it both to Timothy and to Titus, that he should be, the leader should be the husband of but one wife. And I've heard guys say, yeah, that means one wife at a time. Trying to justify their ability to move from marriage to marriage. He says this, let your wife be a loving, like a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts, underline hers, not somebody else's. Her breasts satisfy you always. And may you ever be captivated by her love. 
And why will you, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? And why would you embrace the bosom of a stranger? Proverbs. Could, could, yeah. I, could I say something about Please. bosoms? Please. I told Dave this morning, I had this thought, and I'm going to just look straight back there at the door while I say this. But I had a thought about bosoms this morning. And then I came to church, and I saw them everywhere. I'm just looking straight ahead. I'm not looking at anybody. But I walked down the hall, and they were overflowing out of blouses and dresses, young and old alike. Anywhere you looked, you could see them. You know what I mean? Jordan is just totally red-faced over there. You said you were looking straight ahead. I know, I was looking straight ahead. I actually got an email, and it's not the first email that I've gotten, but I got an email that actually came to Pastor Brady. Someone was asking him. He was on vacation, so it was sent to me to answer. And it was from a lady saying, is there anything we can do about the provocative way so many of our new life women dress? And she said, we've brought guests with us, and we had a family that came that just finally said, I just can't, we have to go somewhere else where they don't dress like this. So if, if we want to be honored and respected, ladies, we have to present ourselves in a way that's honorable. And uh, some of it might be just because we're naive. Some of it might be because it's hot, you know, but it's kind of year-round that this happens. So I want to encourage it, and I replied back to this lady, the first opportunity I get to address that, I will do it. And so I thought, this morning is a perfect opportunity. But really, honestly, um, I was I, I had... I was walking down the hall toward the children's hallway a couple weeks ago, and there was a man, probably, I'm guessing he's about 65. And so he was walking toward me, and this woman who was kind of bubbling out of her blouse was walking toward him, and I saw him look, and he went like that. And then he made eye contact with me, and, and you know, I look like, I, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> So we, we need to live in a way that, doesn't, that, that shows that we're honorable, but also isn't causing other people to stumble. Live and dress and present ourselves in a way that makes it easy for men to visit with us and relate to us without just being totally, have it be totally awkward. Last part of this verse, I just want to give you an exhortation. He says, he asked the question of this young man, why would you be ravished with a strange woman or embrace some stranger? Just put it this way for everybody. Don't exchange true intimacy for a counterfeit. When you have the real thing in your marriage, there's no excuse and no reason to go look for something that's not real. Here's... Proverbs 6.32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He that does it destroys his own soul.
So you're not doing anything except injuring and ruining your own personal spiritual life. Proverbs 12.4, a wife, and remember my, my premise was a wife is either the crown of her husband or the undoing of her husband. Notice this, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in the bones. I, uh, I have the privilege of ministering uh, to marriages and, and visiting and kind of carrying that flag here at New Life and families. And it's always such a question to me. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around why a woman would walk away from her marriage to hook up with somebody at work and why a man would would leave his the faithfulness of his commitment to his wife and go looking for something or someone else outside of their marriage. I still scratch my head every time I hear this story. And unfortunately, I hear it every week. I hear of folks that have wandered away or or <clears throat> not just wandered. They they actually got in the car and went looking. They didn't wonder. They had purpose about it. So be the noble wife, ladies. That is the crown to her husband. And husbands, you be the faithful husband who has been true to what he, he promised in his wedding vows. Notice, this again is to young men, Proverbs chapter 6. Where were we here? This was Proverbs 12. This is Proverbs chapter 6. Keeping you from the immoral woman. From the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Look at that. That's a lady who already has a husband, but she's wayward. She's gone looking. Don't lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. What does bread cost today? Two and a half? Guys, is your life more worth more than two and a half dollars? This is what a wayward woman, a lustful, strange woman, married or unmarried, that's looking for somebody to seduce. She reduces you to the price of a loaf of bread. And you're, you, this adulterous woman preys upon your very life. Another rhetorical question. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? The answer is no. It'll burn you. So, I wanted to. I'm kind of the example person. Please do. Kind of just let me interrupt with an example. Uh, because we kind of tend to think that things like that wouldn't happen to us or we wouldn't be guilty of that. There was back early, like 15 years into our marriage, there was a whole flurry of prominent ministers who were. Um, found out as far as um, adultery, uh, prostitution, being unfaithful to their wives and losing their marriages. And it was very sobering for us. And we would look at each other and say, you know, we have to have the attitude not, um, oh, that could never happen to us, 
But we have to be on guard to make sure something like that doesn't ever happen to us. And we have always in our, we'll be married 33 years in August, and all of that time has been spent in pastoral ministry. And uh, our youngest daughter, Anna, is 22, and soon after she was born, so we had four children at, at this time, there was a man on our church staff that I started kind of feeling this flirtatious thing from him. And he was a married guy, and I was married with four children. We're working in a church, you know, we're on the pastoral staff. You'd think, well, that's a safe setting, and uh, it's really not. So um, I started feeling this, and do you know the first thing I did? The first thing I did was I ran down the office to my, down the hallway. I called you. I called Dave, and I said, um, I named this guy, let's call him Bob. I said, um, I think Bob is after me. And he said, what? And I said, I think Bob is after me. So then I went and went to his office, and I said, I'm feeling this kind of, now you're, you look at me, and I'm 54 years old, and I'm 54 years old. And so you're probably thinking, what did Bob ever see in Becky? Well, this was 22 years ago, and 22 years ago, I was really awesome. <laughs> so anyway, but actually, age has nothing to do with it. Let me just tell you that. So anyway, I think, frankly, I'm more interesting at 54 to my husband. Way more. Than I was at 21. But anyway, so I went and I said, I'm feeling this thing from Bob. Now, how many of you girls honestly know exactly what I'm talking about? That little kind of, hmm, raise your hands. Don't make me beg. Okay, so I was feeling this. So Dave, he told me, you know, he wanted to go beat him up. But instead we prayed. So we prayed, and we just took authority over that, and we just got it right out there in the open. Now, a tendency and kind of a temptation, especially to a woman who, you know, I've got four kids. You were twenty. You, you just turned 33 and just had her fourth baby. Okay. So I could have been thinking, hmm, well, I guess I've still got it, you know, or... Ooh, this feels pretty good. Let's just play with this just a little bit. And I would never do anything. But, you know, this, this could be kind of interesting. But when that happens, then you have started down the slippery slope, so to speak, of uh, a place you don't want to go. So getting it out in the open, having Dave pray with me, and then... Like the next day, I was sitting at my desk, and I got a phone call from a minister in another state that really is very prophetic and has always had, uh, God's always used him to minister to us in that way. So I hadn't said anything to anybody but Dave about Bob. And uh, my phone rang, and I answered it, and this, it's this pastor, and he said, there's a trap set for you, run and I said, I know that, and I know what it is, and I did. And then and we hung up. Fast forward 
about 10 months. So 10 months later, I got a phone call from Bob's wife. And she said, I think Bob's having an affair, and I think he's with her right now. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Bob was a desperate man. So she said, I drove by this other woman's house and saw his truck parked around the corner, and I think he's with her right now. So we went over to their house that evening, about 6 o'clock, knocked on the door. Bob answered the door. We'd never been to their home. He was surprised to see us and invited us in. And so we said to the wife, just say whatever you want to say. And she said to him, I think you're having an affair, an affair, and I think you were with her this afternoon. And he denied it, and they went all around that for a while. And then finally he said, you're right. I have been. It's been going on about 10 months. And I was with her. And so the wife, Bob's wife wanted to stay with him. He was willing. So we said, okay, Bob, you got to call. Let's call her Alice. You got to call Alice and break it off while we're here. So he did. And he said, Dave and Becky are here. They, they know all about us. She was also on the staff at our church. So um, then he hung up and he said, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Of course, we had such sympathy for him. He said, it felt like that just feels like I cut off my left arm. And so we said, (laughs) while you're at it, if you need to start cutting things off. We really did say that. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. We're all about scriptural, you know, following the scriptural pattern. So we said, start cutting, because. So this woman that he was having the relationship with had little children, and, you know, it was just a big mess. We went from their house, well. Before we got up from this couple's home, after he made this phone call and they decided, you know, she wants to work it out, I looked at Becky and I said, Beck, tell him. And she looked at me and she said, tell him what? I said, tell him. So I said, I felt like about 10 months ago you were, af- you were after me. And he said, I was and I couldn't get you, but I got her. So I don't look at that like, wow, Becky, you are so spiritual and you really handled yourself well. I look at that and I think, thank God. Because I, I could have very easily been pulled into that same trap that this other woman. Now, there's a couple things that I attribute that to. One is that I had a husband that I could trust with that. And I could go to him and say, I'm feeling that. And know that his response wasn't going to be, well, what did you do? What, were you, what prompted that? What did you do that provoked that? You're, you're just acting all, you know, blah, blah, blah. He didn't blame me or accuse me. And he didn't react in a carnal way. He responded to it spiritually. And we prayed and broke the power of it. And then that awesome pastor who was obedient and called and gave me a warning that day. Because it really sobered us. That same pastor came to our church um, Oh, I don't know. In the middle of that 10 months, he was visiting sometime. No, 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 no. It was after. Was it after? It was after. Okay. (sighs) 
So he came after it had all been exposed. And we were walking, this pastor and I were walking down the hallway, and Bob was walking toward us. And we went past him. We hadn't had a conversation about it since that day he called me. We walked past him, and he said, that was the trap. I said, yes, it was. So I tell you that for all of those reasons that you need to be honest, you need, need to be able to tell your spouse anything and everything. You have to be spiritually minded and sober and alert. And, uh, and, and it's, it is in the church. So you think, the only place I ever go is new life. The only place I ever go is the mill Sunday school. And then I go to work and then I come to the mill on Friday night. I'm safe. No, because the enemy would like to come in and destroy your lives in a safe setting where you think you're safe. So Bob has had a few of those since then. So just so you know. We had a question that was forwarded from an email that came to New Life. And I happened to get the the forwarded email. Becky gets lots of emails and questions that are asked and And the email, I shared this on Thursday with our staff, was from a young man in his 20s. And he asked the question. He says, uh, it doesn't explicitly state in the scriptures, quote, don't have sex before marriage. Well, there's not a thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not have kind of verse. But there is a multitude of scriptural uh, Illusions and scriptural exhortations, and now there is a Ten Commandment not to yeah, commit adultery. There's a Ten Commandment, but uh, but adultery is often you know associated with sex within the marriage pe- between two people who are not married to each other. Uh, fornication, though, is the Bible word, and I, I feel like the definition of that fornication and adultery covers the big umbrella topic of sexual purity, which is what we're talking about here. And I want us to. Just meditate for a minute on these verses. This is the New Testament. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He says, everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will destroy them both. And the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Fornication is the King James word. But for the Lord... And the Lord for the body. We have this really dear pastor's wife friend. She's now in her 70s. But she's just this old, dear, Pentecostal, Bible-toting, preaching. You can picture this little, this little tiny lady. And, and she's never been able to pronounce the word fornication correctly. And so she'll be preaching along. She'll say, and those that are abstaining from, you know. And she said, don't let yourself be given over to fortification. And she never could pronounce it right. And every time she mispronounced it, everybody in the room would smile. They wouldn't laugh. Just fornification. But it sobers me when I hear Paul tell us that the body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord was meant for the body. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Fornication is the word used here. That's an improper use of sex before marriage. He says, all other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who commits sexual sins, sins against his own body. The next verse, from the message, 1 Corinthians 6. There's more 
to sex than mere skin on skin. Thank you, Eugene Peterson, for the visual here. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. It involves your whole being, not just your body. As it's written in the scripture, the two become one. And that one is not just a physical joining of bodies, but in marriage, it's the, it's the spiritual joining. Christ in the church, a man and a woman, a bride and a groom. It's becoming one. Since we want to become spiritually one with a master, we must not pursue that, the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. He says, he goes on in Proverbs, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, and listen to this. There is a sense in which all sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own body. And I head, headlined this, and I want, I want to just encourage you to preserve the purity of passion. Passion's a good thing. God created it in each one of us. But he says, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies when it's not properly used. These bodies that were made for God, God-given, God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? He says, don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. Notice, your body is not much different than your spirit, your mind. You're all one. You're a three-part being, all interconnected, all uniquely designed to be one. He says, God owns the whole works, so let people see God in and through your body. This goes back to how we carry ourselves in this world, in a pure, a pure life in an impure world. Living in spiritual purity in a world that's gone upside down and, and backwards. Here's what Paul says to the Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. There's a whole list. He goes on to, to describe things like anger, outbursts of temper. He says, these are works of the flesh. And I, I get really kind of irritated with people who say, well, I, I just need to go to uh, anger management classes. Paul didn't call us to manage anger. He called us to mortify it, kill it, do away with it. Here's the verse in, in Ephesians 5.3, fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. He says in Colossians, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's what we do with things of the flesh. He says, put to death. King James says, mortify. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. King James says it's coming on the children of disobedience. 1 Thessalonians 4. You know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Paul's teaching the church. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain. Abstinence. This is, you know, abstinence is God's word, that you should abstain from fornication. 
and that every one of us, every one of you, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Think about possessing your vessel, about controlling your sexual desire as a spiritual offering to God. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. What does sanctification mean? It's a big word. Let me just say this. I've got dirty dishes in my sink at home. Not very many. There's some. They're, They're all my dirty dishes. When I wash those dishes with hot water and soap and put them in the dishwasher and they're clean for an hour in the dishwasher and they're dried, that's much like our salvation. God's free gift. He washes us. He cleanses us. He renews the right spirit within us. He's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he's washed our dishes. According to his mercy, he's saved us. It's his mercy that has cleansed us. But what is sanctification? When I open the dishwasher and I take those clean dishes and I put them in their place to be used again, the silverware drawer, the the plates, the pots, the pans, the cups, the saucers, the, the glasses, they all are sanctified And here's what sanctification means. It means set aside for future use. So when you think about being living a sanctified life, you're setting aside your life so God can use you. You're laying aside and setting aside that part of your life so that God might use you. So being saved is one thing and being sanctified. Thank God for the Nazarene message of a second work of grace. That we are indeed set aside so that God can use us. Here's what the message says to husbands and wives in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, getting down to the questions you ask in your letter to me. Paul received a letter, just like Brady did, Pastor Brady did from this young man. He said, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Paul's asking this question. Then he goes on to answer it. Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. He says, sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and sexual, fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed, just like Hebrews 13 said, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband's first Corinthian her husband first Corinthians seven one through six so I like what the King James says he says the wife's body does not belong to her but to her husband and the husband's body does not belong to him but to the wife on our very first night of marriage thirty three years ago do you remember it honey our very first night of marriage, we drove. I told you we, we got married at four in the afternoon. We're driving two hours to our destination for our honeymoon and got stopped by the Washington State Patrol <laughs> for speeding. And our car was all marked up, just married balloons and everything inside, and streamers. And my brother-in-law had taped the door shut so I couldn't get the key in the door. And, it was, and so the highway patrolman pulls me over. And he walks up, smiling. He said, you're going a little fast through that town back there, weren't you? I said, well, sir, I, and Becky's sitting next to me, and uh, I just got married. He said, yeah, I know. <clears throat> I said, I, I'm on my way to honeymoon. I'm sorry. I, he said, I, I realize all that. 
have a good time, slow it down. And he walked, he gave me a warning and walked away. So you folks that are headed toward marriage, keep this purity of your passion. Give yourself the opportunity to experience the full expression of God's passion and love for each other in your marriage. Now, if you've, if, if you've been in a place in your life where this has not been your experience, 1 John 1, 9 is for all of us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and make us new. And coming toward marriage with that purity in your heart for the wife that you've found, for the husband that you've uh, given yourself to, do it in a pure way and God's blessing will be there in your marriage. The Bible promotes abstinence before marriage and complete purity during marriage. That's the Bible's idea. And let's, let's see if we can be doers of God's word. Sex between a husband and wife is the only prescribed and endorsed form of sex in a marriage which God approves. Engaged couples, he talks about this. We didn't put the scripture on here, but if you want to read 1 Corinthians 7 down through verse 36 and 37, he says it's better to marry than to burn with sexual passion that's uncontrolled. He says... Intercourse, then, is not proper for engaged couples, and they should keep their emotions in check, or they should get married. That's what he says. And I want to encourage you. You can live pure, and you can live in a relationship with your engaged, with your intended, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, and keep it pure. I wanted, I guess this kind of goes both ways, but I was going to say this to you young ladies, that if you're dating someone who doesn't, honor you and respect you enough to um, encourage you in your purity, then he's not going to make a very good husband, and he's not going to make a very good father, just to be really blunt. Anyone that would encourage or suggest you do things that are um, against the Scripture and that violate the, the things that we have shared from Scripture today um, that's not the kind of man that you want as a father to your little girls because he's not placing much value on you as a woman. And the same would go, guys, think about uh, the mother of your sons, the mother of your little daughters, and what kind of character, uh, what kind of example do you want? And then, you know, sometimes I think, man, if people just live this way, before they get married, what makes anybody think that a wedding ceremony is going to change the core of who that who you are? It, it doesn't happen. If you're if you're not uh, respectful of each other before you get married, and you think, well, once we get married, we'll respect each other, it isn't going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. So I was thinking about our wedding night and just the... Oh, yeah, I was going to tell the rest of the story. Oh, well, I don't know if you are or not. I woke up in the middle That's of the night. That's not what I was going to tell. I let woke me tell up... my part first. Okay. Uh, let me tell my part first, because this is in sequence. So we got, we got into our hotel room in Spokane, and I went in the bathroom to, to change my clothes, and then I couldn't come out. I was so nervous. 
And I was just standing in there, so Dave said, Honey, are you coming out? (laughs) I said, I'm too nervous. He said, Come on out. I said, I'm too nervous. And the more he said, Come on out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I said, Oh, I'm just too nervous. So this is like 33 years ago, folks, and look at us. We're just out of control. But anyway, so then I stood in there and I thought, oh, now I have made such a big deal about this. Why did I make such a big deal? Because now, you know, so anyway, I came out. (laughs) So now you can tell yours. But what I was going to say about that is, I, I really did forget my point. My point in that was we had something to look forward to. We had some um, excitement and some intrigue and some mystery and some something to look forward to on that night. And that's, uh, that's what you want. Even if you're 21 and I'm 54, you still want that. That's, that's part of the beauty of it. So in the middle of the night... After we'd been asleep for several hours, I woke up. I don't remember any of this, but this is what was told to me. I sat straight up in the bed. And I said, do you belong to me or do I belong to you? Do you belong to me or do I belong to you? And Becky's looking at me thinking, what have I gotten myself into? I've married a psycho. And, and she said, I sat there just for a minute, and then I relaxed, and I said, we belong to each other. <laughs> and I went back to sleep. <laughs> and I went back to sleep. Only to read in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, a wife's body does not belong to her, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. And that's the beauty of giving yourselves to each other. The two shall become one. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Don't let anything or anybody separate what God has joined together. Next week, we'll finish these four weeks. We've really uh, enjoyed being with you. If you have some questions, you might want to write them down or email them. Or however you want to do that. Joe, what's the best way to form a question and send a question for Mills Sunday School? Do we have? Okay. Well, if you want to send a question that we'll have for next week, here's the email address. Just dial 1-800-DAVID. D as in David, B as in Becky. D.B. Grothy. If you send it to D. Grothy, it goes to Daniel Grothy. So it's D.B. Grothy at newlifechurch.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for us, that your word is true and not a lie, and that we know the truth and the truth makes us free. I thank you for freedom in our lives in this area of being one. Help us, Lord, to become your witnesses, a man and a woman that speaks about the Christ in the church. Thank you for the beautiful picture you've given us in marriage. Help us, Lord, to be totally fulfilled in that for us. And we thank you, Lord. Right now we pray for our husbands.
whatever their names are, and our wives, wherever they may be. We thank you, Father, for strengthening us to become the husband, the wife that you want us to be. We pray for it in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Amen. 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 Well, let's thank the Grothies for coming this morning. So good. I hope you're getting as much out of this as I am. Well, they'll be back one more week next week, so don't miss that. All right, everybody. See you then. Bye-bye.